Welcome to TalkEerie.com's Joel Natale Show, Erie, Pennsylvania's daily podcast. Every day, we tackle the biggest issues that the Erie PA region faces. Stay informed and involved as we advance the narrative of Erie. Now, here's Joel Natale. We were uh, alerted to what's called the crisis in community intellectual disability programs. And so there's a crisis that are facing families uh, in this day of, uh, in this era of the pandemic. Uh, people that have d- intellectual disabilities, their families, and the programs that provide services and supports in cities and towns across our Commonwealth and really across the nation. And, and, it's, and it's the the people, the caring people that help people with intellectual disabilities live in the community. And so we're going to learn uh, about um, the concept of a um, uh, of a what's called a uh Oh my gosh, what is the word? It is a it is a direct support professional. And so let me introduce my guests here. Uh we have Gary Blumenthal. Uh he is a um he is with the uh program uh InVision Human Services, a headquartered in Wexford, and he's the vice president of government relations and advocacy. Thank you, Gary, for helping us put this together. Thank you. And John Barber, again, that's a familiar name in here. He's the president of the Barber National Institute, a diverse nonprofit organization headquartered here in Erie, supports uh, uh, services to more than 4,200 children, adults, and families. Thank you, Mr. Barber. John, so glad that you're with us. Well, it's great being here, Joel, and uh, we're very happy to be on your program. You have one of my favorite programs. Oh, now that's really saying something, you know. And I've got your sister hooked too, so we're, you know, we're we're covering the barbers, right? <laughs> There's a lot of them. <laughs> yes, there are. Hey, and we've got uh, Kim Serafin. She's a nurse and mom from Erie. Here, uh, you're with Bayada Healthcare, and also a parent of a young adult understanding the DSP crisis. Kim, thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you for having me. Alrighty, why don't we why don't we stop with start with you and maybe you could okay. tell us a little bit of your story and the story of Matthew. Okay, uh, my son is Matthew. He's twenty. He'll be twenty one November seventh, coming up here real shortly. Um, he's in his last year of high school because he gets to go till he's twenty one. Um, he lives at home with me and dad and older brother. Uh, he is. He has cerebral palsy. He is in a power wheelchair, nonverbal. Um, he requires 24-7 um, care, uh, dependence on his caregivers for everything. Um, he's very um, happy guy, very active, loves to be out in the community, loves to be very, very busy. Therefore, wearing his poor mama out, trying to keep up with his activities, um, and he, he demands them because he just, he loves life. He, he really loves life. Um, I work at Bayada Home Healthcare as a nurse taking care of adults with disabilities like Matthew. Uh, so I work about a nine to 10 hour day, um, uh, 40 plus hours a week if you count what I do at Bayada, plus then coming home to take care of Matthew. Um, uh, as of late, as I'm getting older and my husband's getting older, feeling you know, more tired, the body's more tired. I have a big fear of, of our future 
we would love, we lo really want to keep Matthew at home, but are fearful of, of having the caregivers coming to our home to take care of him, having them available. Um, so we feel this is a very, very, very important need for us. Um, we need the help. We need the, the respite, the break. Um, and Matthew doesn't want to be with his mom and dad all the time. Uh, so he's going to be turning 21 and then we'll be in a, in a what's called a consolidated waiver program. Um, so we will be then allowed to have more care essentially, you know, currently the way the system works, we only get uh, nursing from Bayada when my husband and I are both working. We do have waiver currently now and get some respite hours for the evenings, but we don't have staff. I have one person um, a few hours on one evening. Let me, let me, let me unpack some of this first. Uh, so Matthew, when he was younger, did he, um, did he receive, receive services at the Barber National Institute and, and other places like that or no? He did, yeah, he went to the Barber National Institute until first grade, okay. uh, starting at just under three years old, received early intervention and then went to the Elizabeth Lee Black School. Uh, he attends the summer camps and the dances and, and all the different activities they have. So yeah, we've been involved since very young. And and then who coordinates now his direct support professionals? Is that something that you have to do or is there an agency that assists you with that? It's through the Barber Center, but I okay. have to find my own staff. I mean, they'll send us staff our way if they have any, but we have a we have a worker through the Barber Center and we have a, a caseworker through your county care management. Okay, so through Erie County Care Management, they the family's uh, they, responsibility really to find is. the staff and train them. Yeah. So, so Gary, let's let's uh, let's set the plate then. So here here is one family story, and you you you're saying you can extrapolate this across thirteen thousand people in Pennsylvania. Whether it's oh, more than that, wow. there are there are. Uh, tens of thousands of people who are supported by the Department of Human Services Office of Developmental Programs. These are uh, people with intellectual disabilities, cognitive disabilities, physical disabilities, who thank God the school system existed to help them get the supports they needed. When a young uh, man or young woman turns 21, the adult service system is where they where they go. They go to programs like the ARC, the ARCs uh, throughout the state, Envision, to the Barber National Institute, to a variety of different places all throughout the Commonwealth. And the, the background, the, the basis of that help, helping them live in their own homes, helping them with medication, helping them with job coaching, helping them with behavioral plans, submitting a documentation. It's a very complicated job to be direct support professional. We cannot find sufficient numbers of people who will take the low wage paid by the state. The state sets a rate and that rate has been abysmal for a number of years. What's particularly uh, of concern this year is that the federal government uh, has provided through the American uh, Rescue Plan dedicated funding to help this uh, system continue. 
but it is a difficult process to get through. There have been no funds, uh, diminished funds, insufficient funds for decades. And the system now is kind of imploding because we can't find people who will take the low wage. The state, however, uh, has promised to review those rates. And the governor and the General Assembly have an obligation then to fund those rates so that services can be staffed and people aren't turned away. You know, in the last year, 6,500 families have been discharged from service with nowhere to go. You know where they go? A lot of them go back to their elderly parents where you have a 55-year-old return to a 78-year-old or, or a 60-year-old return to an 80-year-old and said, I'm sorry, we don't have the staff. The state rate is so low, we can't hire people. And we're asking, we're asking the General Assembly and the governor to work together and at a minimum pay the local programs the same amount of wages that they set for their own state employees. We're going to get to that in a second. And, and I want to get the story from the Barber Center's point of view, because again, like you mentioned, Gary, this is not a new problem, but this is a problem that's been exasperated by the pandemic. And you would think that we can maybe get some solid solutions, but it's dicey right now. John, I would love for you to kind of give us uh, your perspective on this situation with reimbursements and available help and kind of the longer view. Like what was th- what were things like pre-COVID or or pre uh, some of the workforce constraints like we're seeing now? At the National Institute, we serve about 6,200 children and adults each year. And we have programs uh, which begin with uh, uh, infants. We serve about 750 infants and toddlers every year. Through school-age children, we are an approved private school. We have 240 students from 24 different school districts who come to us up through uh, adults and we serve thousands of adults uh, each year. And we have programs in Philadelphia, in Pittsburgh, in Somerset County, in Bedford County, in Warren County. So at the Barber Institute, we have a, a pretty profound understanding of what the issues are. And this crisis that we are now facing with the workforce has been brewing for a long time. Uh, between the years 2007 and eight and 2017-18, there had been no increase whatsoever from the state in the way of reimbursements in a fee-for-service system. So the way that we are reimbursed is we provide a service. And maybe we provide a service for, say, an hour for uh, Matthew or a day uh, uh, for someone who is living in one of our residential programs. And we get paid X amount of money for that service. So we went 10 years without any reimbursement uh, uh, 
increase. Okay, I want you to pause there a second there, John, because I want uh, I want to read from a quote from DHS that we received here to the Talk Erie Studios. And <laughs> and um, I just I just just so that that we're clear what we're hearing here. Now, D, um, by regulation, the process of updating the data that informs the department's reimbursement rates is to occur occur on a three year timeline and is due to be conducted in October of 22. And they're hoping that uh, CMS, which is the Centers for Medicaid and Medicare Services, would allow them to do it this year because of American Rescue Plan Act. So are you telling me that no, even no, though. No, no. I've given you the historical background. But no, but are you saying that they never that, looked at it? They have been looking at it every years. three years? No, not in those. Uh, that, that is a new regulation oh. which was put in. Okay. Right. Then in the then in the, in the year 1718. Yes. In that fiscal year, there was money put into the system. About $400 million okay. was added to the system. So and they didn't the rate, look at it for 10 years is what you're saying. Right. And then the rates went up at that time, to, to their credit. Okay. Since and, the 2017-18 year, the rates have not moved. The regulation that they're speaking of was put into place in 2019, which says that they will look at it every three years. They're correct. But that's a, a new regulation. So they're looking at it now. However, I would say that since 2017-18, we're now in the 21-22 year, it's been four years. We all know that inflation has moved and the labor market is radically different today than it was in 17 and 18. And I'll just give you an example of why this has been a, a brewing crisis. Three years ago in Philadelphia, there was a company, an agency, which provided the same kind of services that the Barber National Institute does. And it was a well-respected company which had been in business since the 1950s. Its name was Blossom. Blossom disintegrated. And the reason that they disintegrated was because they could not staff their group homes. They could not staff their day programs, they could not staff their therapies. The Barber National Institute was one of the agencies which was asked to go in and pick up the pieces for Blossom. Now, we're very fortunate. We have resources. We've built a, a great reputation and a great depth of, of people over the years. And at that time, we were able to, to do that and to help. But I consider Blossom to have been the canary in the coal mine. We all know yeah, what has wow. happened since COVID yeah. has begun. Yeah. The labor market has changed radically in the last 18 months. I, I, I There is a shortage it's, of workers yeah. in almost all industries. Yeah. Uh, this morning, they announced that even Social Security uh, is going to have a 6% increase, mm -hmm. uh, which probably isn't enough, but it at least indicates to you what the government is aware of uh, in, in the increase in fuel, housing, food, all the basic necessities of life. So that's the kind of thing that our direct service professionals are facing. And that's the kind of thing that agencies like ours are facing.
No. And Joel, to the to the to the Department of Human Services credit, to the governor's credit, and to the legislature's credit, uh, they are looking at the issue now. The reason they're doing that a year early, although we think it's a year late since they made mm -hmm. the promise but didn't put the regulation in place, whatever. The fact is, they decided to to uh, evaluate the rate and and look at the data. Uh, so they could uh, determine what is a fair rate to keep these programs going. But Gary, I just have sustained. to ask, I have to ask though, how, what happened between 07 and 17? There was just, I mean, how, how could it just go oh, with no happened? rate increases? You what know? happened? Yeah. What happened was, what happened was uh, the turnover rate in these various programs kept creeping up and creeping up and creeping up. Programs had to do anything they could to survive, which meant paying a lot of overtime when they couldn't find workers. They had to do a lot of individual fundraising. The difficulty is these programs are only limited to the Medicaid fund in which to operate on. But creative managers like John Barber with Siegfried, with Envision and others uh, were, were uh, creative in being able to figure out how to, how to make different scales of economy. We've run out of places to save money in at this point. Now we're down to having to have people lose service wow. because there is no one to staff a shift. And, and the governor and the General Assembly have tremendous responsibilities. This is a five alarm fire right now that we need them to join together and, and address. Uh, the governor cannot do it alone. The General Assembly cannot do it alone. But they need to do this, and they need, they need to do it quickly before more people lose service. I think it's a scandal that 6,500 people with intellectual disabilities have been discharged from day programs. Yeah. And they can't reopen because they can't find any workers. There are elderly parents who are suffering at home because there's no one to help them with their disabled adult child. I, I, I got to go ahead, John. That, yeah, that, that's the reason that I gave you the historical background so that you understand the fragility of the system. This isn't something that just happened yesterday. The, the reason that the system is so fragile is because of the historical uh, background. And when Gary says 6,500 people have lost service, if that number is correct, and I have no reason not to believe that, there are about 60,000 people overall receiving services. So, so you're, you're over 10% of the people who were receiving services who are unable to do it now. And the situation is not getting anything except more perilous. I, I got 20 seconds before I have to take the bottom of the hour break. Uh, really quick, uh, one sentence question: Have have there been testimony in front of the legislature? Are there are there champions within the legislature that we can point to? Uh, quick answer: Are there champions yes. in the legislature? I, I yes. think there are okay. leaders 
on the uh, Zoom call with us are John Barber. He is the president of the Barber National Institute. Kim Serafin is a nurse and mom from Erie, and she's the mom of Matthew, who, uh, who is 20, requires 24-7 care from her and, and the, his father. And Gary Blumenthal is the vice president of government relations and advocacy for Envision Human Services, uh, who's, who's headquartered down in Wexford. Um, let's, uh, let's get back to the conversation here. And uh, I'm struck by this uh, article, this op-ed piece in the York Daily News, uh, right in the governor's hometown, home, uh, and uh, that, uh, that this, this, this mom says the Pennsylvania legislators and governor uh, should be ashamed of themselves. They're not taking care of the people of the state. It doesn't seem to bother anyone in the legislature unless it affects them directly. And um, the issue is compensation rates are not high enough to even those with the, with the beautiful hearts – that would be a uh, direct support professional are not able to make it. They end up being uh, almost uh, poverty level. Kim, can you tell us a little bit about uh, the folks um, that have worked with your son, Matthew, and the, the conditions that, uh, you know, the reimbursements are, are, are having them face? Um, I have uh, one one worker for Matthew through the waiver system. Um, and I, I had a gentleman uh, for Matthew pre-COVID who was working for us, but uh, he left us, um, I believe, because of not making enough. Um, you know, he already worked full time and, you know, it's, it's it wasn't worth, I mean, he loved Matthew, but it wasn't enough for him to keep with us and help us um uh and so where does it put where does it put you now uh right you you mentioned that you and your husband are starting to get older um uh, and uh, the idea is um uh how do you how do you go forward here now that matthew's turning 21 and will enter a different status correct 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 um Yes, we are looking for help, more evening help, more weekend coverage um, so that my husband and I can get a break and he can go out and do his many activities that he does because I'm just, I'm tired. Yeah. <laughs> I work full time and then come home and take care of Matthew and do the same thing that I do all day. You know, bathing, feeding, dressing, um, everything safety you know somebody taking care of matthew uh it's a lot of responsibility uh well, so and, i and want to pay my staff a decent wage because they have a human life on their hands and he has no safety awareness he requires a lot of care he has a lot of equipment um it's a lot of work i have to say uh, joel that uh i know kim personally and matthew and she and her husband are literally saints and, and i think that about many of the parents, but uh, uh, Kim, uh, you know, Matthew was given the parents that, that he needed, and it's a wonderful thing. However, uh, everyone is not in the same situation that Kim is and uh, uh, doesn't necessarily have that, that kind of care at home, so that they need even more support. And unless Kim is being enabled to support Matthew at home, I mean, he's going to have nowhere to go, and 
uh, it's going to be more expensive for the Commonwealth to do it. Another thing that you should know is that the Commonwealth also has state centers. And the Commonwealth runs the state centers. And it's frankly, it's three and a half to four times as expensive in a state center for an individual than it is in the community. So if if the community system were to implode or collapse and everyone had to go to the state, it's gonna cost them four times as much to take care of people. And so it would be very penny wise and pound foolish not to put appropriate resources into the community system right now while there is still an operating system and there are a lot of good-hearted agencies and people who are trying to do the right thing. Mm-hmm. I would well, we as parents don't go want ahead, that. We, want to keep, we as parents certainly do not want that. You know, we love our children. We want them to be with their family where they're happiest and then have the community have the supports for us to enable us to do that. You know, that's, that's our goal. It seems like there's a couple things that are at play here. Number one, um, we, we've got the actual workforce shortage. And, and again, uh, John, you, you say you listen to the show. So you heard uh, us talking about the, the nursing shortage. Kim, you're living that too, right? I mean, uh, I mean the hospitals don't have enough. The, the uh, primary care has got a shortage. And, and, and so we've got – we just have, don't have enough workers – period. We've got COVID-19, which is scaring people or, uh, you know, literally people are actually physically not able to do what they used to do. And and then we have this uh, systemic issue of just really bad reimbursements. But Gary, I want to ask you about this because John brought up the point that the state does the same thing, and it costs more. Does this go to this equal pay for equal work thing that you're pushing? Well, it does. It does. The uh, state, you know, services for people with intellectual disabilities uh, were in the past not very good. They were provided in isolated state institutions in rural parts of the state. We're talking about Polk and North Warren. Is that? I'm talking about all, all over the over country. place. Okay, but, but, yeah. but Polk, Polk and Whitehaven, I would yeah. I would include in that. Mm-hmm. Uh, there were histories of of problems in those programs. Although over the last ten to fifteen years, the state has done a much better job of running those programs. But they still separate people from being in their home community near their families. The state has always tended to fund what it owns better than the people that they are contracting with to do services. So the states figured out a long time ago that people wanted to be in the community, but they also figured out it it would cost less. But the way they made it cost less, I mean, there there are a lot of efficiencies less less uh, money into buildings, less money into things you don't need, but they funded so very little, they transferred so very little dollars to community programs and they made those programs cheaper because they underpaid the staff. Now we're at the point where we can't find people willing to take that. 
that low wage. And so we're asking the state to, for starters. I mean, this is a multi-year problem where we need to reward people who save lives with the, with a decent wage, whether it be frontline workers in, in, in uh, policing or human services or whatever. We need to treat people who take care of people. We need to treat them better. But for right now, in the short term, we're asking the governor, we're asking the General Assembly to appropriate and to spend the same amount on wages for people in community programs as the state pays its own employees. There's a little bit of irony here. The state goes out and tells businesses that you must respect equal pay for equal work, the principle, but they don't practice it themselves. There is sufficient monies in the uh, American Rescue Plan and in monies that were set aside that were earmarked for programs like this program known as a home and community-based service program. But there's also additional dollars from a recovering economy in this state and from $5 billion placed into the Rainy Day Fund. I think Republicans, I've talked to many Republicans, many Democrats, it doesn't matter what party, this is a human service need that the citizens of the Commonwealth feel is important, and they believe that this is a priority. And we need the General Assembly and the governor to work together to, to, to save us before something really terrible happens when no one is there to show up for shifts. And that is happening right now. I mean, in my opinion, Joel, I mean, the governor is the executive officer. He needs to set the agenda. He needs to ask for the money. And then the legislature needs to go ahead and uh, agree with him. But uh, I mean, we, we need someone to show some leadership. And I mean, you asked, uh, are, are there uh, champions there? There are many champions within the, the legislature. I mean, the governor himself is a good man. And I... I I, I think that he would want to do what's right. Uh, uh, Jake Corman from the Senate and uh, a representative Benninghoff in the uh, uh, House of Representatives. I mean, both, I think, are in favor of doing something to help uh, people with intellectual disabilities. But we just we need someone and to to set the agenda and. You know, I, I would ask the governor to go ahead and set the agenda and make the ask. What do you, what, again, John, you've employed hundreds of people. I, I'm interested in knowing, um, you know, maybe using this show for a moment to say, hey, have you ever thought of giving of yourself, you know, it to be in this field? We have 3,500 employees if we were at full compliment. Uh, I mean, I could hire, I think we're down to about 3,200. I could hire 300 people tomorrow. And it's a, it's a wonderful life. It's a mission. You're helping other people. You're getting out of yourself. And for our staff who enjoy it and who learn to love it, to a, a man and a woman, what they say is that, you know, the best part of the job 
is our relation with the individual clients. And they wouldn't give that up for, for anything. And they would actually and do their it families. To, to their own detriment uh, uh, if they could. But, you know, I mean, frankly, when we're trying to attract new people to the, to the field, we can't be in a position where we're being outpaid by Chipotle. Because wow. Kim is right. The, the responsibility uh, uh, that our staff have for the lives and safety and care of our individuals is a, a great responsibility. Yes. And yeah. it should be commensurately rewarded. And, uh, you know, that's, I don't, I don't know how else to say it, but uh, I mean, there are a lot of wonderful jobs that, that we have available uh, tomorrow, but I mean, uh, Joel, I mean, you go in, into the country fairs and you say, I mean, if you can uh, uh, show up for work, I mean, they'll, they'll pay you pretty well. Yeah, and that that whole thing has changed most recently, and and I the question is whether we're we're under a, a a wage bubble. I don't think we are. I think this this is a new floor right now, and the unfortunate thing is is that the big nas- multinationals they can set whatever price they want, and the nonprofits have to, especially nonprofits that are that are regulated like you guys are, where. It's a fi- it's a fixed reimbursement rate. You're really in a tough spot. Well, we have no pricing power. I mean, you put your finger on. You understand. I mean, we have no pricing power. So, uh, nor are we in a position where we can slash programs. I mean, for the people who live with us, I absolutely have to have a certain a number of staff in those homes at any cost. And I, it's not even like a healthcare system where they can shut down elective surgery if they don't have enough nurses. Right. I mean, we, can, we cannot shut it down whatsoever. No, and- but, but we also are present in a lot of people's individual homes where an individual with a disability wants to live with their family. And when, when the direct support professional doesn't show up, that family suffers the mom or dad in that family may have to quit their job because there's no one to take care of their loved one. Well, and it may, and it occurs to me too, that, you know, not everyone is as healthy and strong as, as Kim and her husband. And what if you have your own, uh, you know, uh, what if physical you're the issues. Year old mom has their, has their 65 year old son returned to them. Yeah. Go okay. ahead, Kim. I said, I'm not as strong as I used to be. <laughs> yeah, right. But but you know what I'm saying? I'm thinking about elderly parents. Um, oh, I know. And that's going to be us in another, in not too far future. You know, I have back issues because Matthew's very physical. And sometimes I sit here and I cry. He's, you know, fighting me, trying to give him a shower. And I just start crying. And I'm like, Matthew, you need to help me. And I struggle. And my husband's not always here. You know, family members used to be able to help us, but they can't help us anymore. He's a he's a big, strong, solid adult, and he's yeah. I think he really requires two people sometimes, and it's just me a lot of times. Let's go. I am out there also helping other families. I also am am employed by the Barber National Institute, so I'm helping other families with their children, just like Matthew, so they can get a break 
but I really don't have the break on my end and I'm wearing thin, you know. Sure. And Abiyanda, go, go ahead. The, the break, uh, uh, Joel, you know, as the baby boomer generation who have kept their children home mm. uh, as it ages, and, and you're right, as, as they become less capable and maybe unable to keep their children at home, the need for services uh, is only going to increase. I've got less than uh, four minutes now. I really want to get to the solution side. And let's take it from each of you. We'll start with Kim here. Kim, as you see mm-hmm. it as a mom and as a nurse, what would you what what would be your preferred outcome here? Uh, to have more available staff and to pay, to pay them what they're worth for the care that they're giving. Um, as I said, it's, you know, it's a big, huge responsibility um, and we have a right to be paid well for um, taking care of our son. He, he requires a lot and I, 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 you know, want quality care in order to get a good quality person, you're going to have to pay a decent rate to get a, a quality person to take care of your son that you want them to provide care as you would provide care to them. Um, so I, you know, I would like to see more available staff higher pay to compensate them. John, weigh in on this as well. Uh, again, uh, your reach is so broad and, and your your voice is so uh, treasured. It's like, boy, I would think that this would be something you could get over the finish line here. Well, I mean, I, I sit on the, the board of uh, some of our trade associations as well, and, and the trade associations have taken a, a, a really hard look at this and to see exactly what would be needed right now and what the system the system needs is about 540 million dollars injected into the system and that would solve many of the problems at least for the intermediate future and that's a statewide thing right that's statewide yes statewide and Mm -hmm. And it's a, it, that's not a large percentage of, of the statewide spend. And the money, as Gary said, is actually available and it's there. And in the long run, it will save the state money if they put it in now uh, rather than when there is a general breakdown in the, in the system. Gary, uh, let's have you weigh in on this again. I'm, um, there, there's an element of this thing that's greater than even the the intellectual disabilities industry, and that is just the workforce in and of itself. You've got 30% of males, 18 to 65, not engaged in the workforce. I, I mean, is that going to be a challenge for you to kind of get to your preferred future? Well, I think the, I, I think the issue is whether we are going to be able to continue with the intellectual disability system. And we can't continue unless there is sufficient funding, but you've got to look towards the future as well. We need uh, an immediate uh, response, which is what John articulated uh, with regards to the request for equal pay for equal work. But then we have to build in after that uh, a cost of living index that keeps those cost currents so we don't come back uh, with our hat in our hand every year begging for a few extra pennies. 
uh, when the state is building highways and roads, they pay what it costs to build highways and roads. When it comes to dealing with people with uh, human needs and human services, they'll keep the cost and the payment at what it was a decade ago. It's not fair. Uh, we're asking the state to step up immediately, practice what you preach, provide equal pay for equal work. Uh, we believe that the General Assembly, both Republicans and Democrats, are ready to work and support the governor when the governor takes the lead on this issue. You know, I, again, I'm a, I'm a man of faith. I feel like there's a lot here that really goes to um, – I'm just saying, biblical mandates of 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 uh, of being kind to your brother, uh, you know, mm -hmm. and and uh, and so in a deep human sense, we've got to fix this in a deep Joel, human sense. Joel, have you ever thought of running for the legislature? Uh, no, I'd no, no. This is you, why I'm in the media. I, <laughs> I would love to have you give that speech on the floor of the house. Although the Erie reps are really good people, yes. I, I know a few of them. They're decent folks, but. Damn, I could use you giving that speech on the House or Senate floor. You're so kind. Gary Blumenthal and uh, John Barber and Kim Serafin, thank you, uh, folks, so much for uh, bringing to light this very important issue. Thank, thank you. you and thank you to your staff as well, Shani. Thank um, you. You've been listening to The Joel Natale Show, Erie, Pennsylvania's daily podcast from TalkErie.com. Subscribe to our show on your favorite podcatcher and get involved by emailing joel at TalkErie.com. <laughs>